Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Rant of a Free Trapper. We've got a couple of subjects we're going to go over this evening. I hope you enjoy them. I've got a really, really, really important one first. It's about whiskey and scotch. And I learned some stuff at a scotch tasting. Think kind of like a wine tasting, but think of scotch. Uh, my wife got the best wife in the world, way better than I deserve. She somehow came across this thing that was going on in Chattanooga and she took me to it and I heard, and I learned some things about whiskey and scotch that I want to share with you so it's even better when you drink it. And if you're into any type of whiskey, that you will you will definitely get something out of this before we do that though i want to thank our sponsor which is funky trap tags and supplies if you're looking for trap tags to be made they make them there uh, funky that company has been making funky trap tags for i bet 30 40 years now great reputation they have all the stuff you'd ever want great guys to deal with uh, great shipping uh, just very honest, down-to-earth, actual trappers. Uh, they, they help support this. They're a member of the, the Trapping Radio Fur Brigade, so you get 10% off if you're a member of that. Just, just great guys. So Funky Trap Tags and Supplies, that is uh, the sponsor that sponsors me doing all these odd topics that I do that I enjoy doing so much. Now, whiskey. Whiskey and scotch. There was a question that was brought up. Now, th this was kind of cool, I have to admit. Now, the the scotch that we were tasting last night was Glenlivet, and it went from a uh, little bitty, I guess you would call them quarter shots, 10% uh, shots, I'm not sure. They weren't for full one-ounce shots or anything, because if, if it was, no one would walk out of there. But... Uh, they had the, the Glenn Lovett guy. He's been like whiskey man of the year. He goes all over the world and uh, he, he helps people with distilleries and gives information and gives talks to, to educate people on the, the awesomeness of whiskey. He really cool dude uh, from Scotland, it sounded like. But the question came up in there about adding water to whiskey. And I've never done this because it, it seems to me like if you add water to something, you dilute it. But here, here's an interesting thing that, that really blew me away because Glenlivet has got all kind of different type of scotches, way more than I thought that there was. And one of them that they have, it's called like a, uh, it, it's one of their natural scotches that's in a different barrel than anything else. But they sell this stuff, guys, at a hundred and twenty proof. That is moonshine grade scotch, but it's got more flavor than moonshine does because it's scotch. And he was saying the best way to drink that type of scotch so you get all of the, the flavors out of it is you add ice. Now, when we added ice to the scotch that was 120 proof, in the back of your throat, you could actually almost taste like butterscotch and almost like some type of dessert quality stuff going on. But before we added the ice, it all you could smell was 
alcohol, like you're smelling, you know, uh, a PGA or an Everclear or some uh, really potent moonshine or something like that. It was just, I mean, it just took over your nose and that's all you could smell was alcohol. There's two things you do with whiskey, apparently, and depends on the alcoholic proof of the whiskey so you get the best results from the whiskey. So if you're a whiskey drinker, I want you to be able to enjoy your whiskey as much as possible. So this is kind of like a public service announcement. If it's really high alcohol, like this one 120 proof scotch was, you put ice in it, but not water. When you put ice in really high proof alcohol, it shuts it down. It shuts down the alcohol part of it. So now you can actually taste the alcohol. Now it does not make the 120 proof go away you don't realize you're drinking 120 proof. So this can be a little bit dangerous if you're not being careful. But all of a sudden now, when you put the ice in that high of a, a, a proof alcohol, the flavor was amazing. Before that, it was like trying to drink fire water. Well, then that brought, brought up the subject of adding water. He said, you never add water to a high proof alcohol because it, it amplifies the aromas so if you got a high proof alcohol and you add some water to it it makes the alcohol that's all you taste that's all you smell you don't get any of the flavors of it it's actually in the drink itself it's just almost i guess like a uh, toned down version of rubbing alcohol not very good but most whiskeys and most scotches and uh you know whether they're made from rye or whatever it is, those are normally going to be in the 40 proof range, like a, a Jim Bean, a Jack Daniels, uh, a Grey Goose Scotch, uh, d different things like that. The more standard ones are going to be about 40, some of them are going to be 60. Now, you don't want to put ice in that because it's going to shut down the alcohol that you're going to be able to, to get when you, you put that in that lower proof alcohol. You want to add water. And when the water reacts to the bourbon, it's a totally different experience than it is without it. So if you're drinking Jack Daniels or Jim Bean, and you, you get, uh, you know, like it depends on how you want to drink it. If you're drinking it neat or you're drinking it over uh, rocks or you're mixing it or anything like that, if the product you're not putting it in does not have water in it, or even if you're going to put it over ice to kind of shut it down, put some water in it to wake it back up. So if you're drinking it neat, just tasting different types of, of bourbon, and you got, say, two ounces or four ounces or whatever it is you're drinking, you know, put about a half ounce of water in that, and you will see, because that was what was amazing, you can literally see the reaction going on between the water and the whiskey. This isn't going to help you catch a coyote or a bobcat, but after you do, you can enjoy that drink at the end of the day a whole lot better if you understand the two. Ice goes with very high proof. Water goes with normal 40, 60 proof alcohol. So, and I don't know if that goes for vodka and everything else, but for bourbons, it was such a drastic difference, you know, because people always try to put, you know, make everything complicated. This really made a big difference. So if you're, if you're going to get you some bourbon or some scotch or something 
and you want to see if you like the certain type of brand, make sure that you add a little bit of water to it. Another thing that, that I learned in that, which is uh, completely irrelevant to trapping, but just interesting stuff, if you ever get an expensive bottle of, say, like Glenlivet 18-year, which is off the charts, probably the best scotch you can get unless you get some of the smoky peat stuff, it's very expensive. Guys that are like hardcore quality scotch and bourbon drinkers, they have different size bottles that they always keep on hand. You do not want to have a half empty bottle of bourbon or scotch sitting in the bottle for a very long time because the alcohol will leave the scotch and it'll start separating the chemicals in that and it won't be what you thought it was when you quit drinking it. So if you ever get an expensive bottle of something and you want to savor it, like some people only you know, drink a really expensive drink on their birthday or Christmas or at the end of the trapping season, whatever it would be, if you drink uh, say half a bottle, have a different bottle there that you can put that in so it seems full. That way it will not change inside the bottle. Now, a full bottle of alcohol in a bottle can last forever. That's why preppers like keeping it, because people that like to drink are going to want it no matter what. But it, you don't. what you don't want to do is have a half a bottle of that sitting there thinking you're going to trade it because it's, it's not going to taste very good. So that's our public service announcement for the alcoholics out there that enjoy drinks maybe a little bit more than we should. Now, I want to get to a couple of different topics that aren't about whiskey. Uh, I think the whiskey is more important than uh, we're getting ready to talk about the two things in life, but I'm blown away at, and you're going to hear this a lot coming up in the next elections, the new green deal, the new green deal. You've probably heard a lot about it. A lot of people are jumping on board. Almost all of the, the Democratic presidential wannabes, because I think there's like 40 of them now, they've all agreed and signed on to the idea that they support the new Green Deal. And it's, in, it's all about environmentalism. And I totally get that. Uh, I, and, you know, as most of y'all know with my permaculture, I look at environment probably a lot different than a lot of you do, which is totally fine. I'm probably a little more strict on what I would like to see on the environment as far as chemicals and erosion and, and different things like that, but I am definitely not a radical environmentalist by any stretch of the imagination. I just think that, you know, whatever piece of ground we have responsibility for should be better after we use it than it is before we use it. I just think that's common sense. That's being a good steward of the resources that we've been given. The new Green Deal goes the complete opposite direction. And it's so ludicrous. And I want you to keep in mind, all of this is on a 10-year schedule. And they want to pass this in Congress. It will not go through Senate, I don't believe, because that's still uh, Republican-controlled. And Trump is not going to sign it. But you can, you can kind of tell where it is. Now, we talked about the Overton window effect a while back. I kind of think this is what this is because it's so off the charts and people are getting so incensed about it 
that no one really thinks this is even plausible because it's not. So, but it could be they want a certain percentage, say 20% of the numbers they're saying. So if you haven't heard what this is, I want you to think about what this really means to real people. Within 10 years, 99% of all cars are not going to be driving. That means you don't have a car to go to work. You don't have a car to go to a convention. You don't have a car to go to the movies, the grocery store, go see your grandma. You don't have a car for nothing. The 1% that's allowed to still be on there, what do you want to bet that's for government use only? Because they don't really specify what that 1% is. Now, we're not talking just electric cars. They want to replace them. They want to eliminate cars. 99% of all cars. So if you're in a union up in the Northeast or something and you're pro-Democrat because they're for the working man and you're working in the, the car industry, whoo, if they get their way, brother, you need to start getting a new skill set pretty freaking quick. America would shut down. That means you're not going to be able to have a mail order business because there wouldn't be a UPS or a postal service. There wouldn't be a FedEx. You wouldn't have Amazon unless they're going to do it completely from electronic solar-powered drones or something. Our way of life is over if, if something like that happens. Now, that's just the cars. They want to completely, 100%, I guess you would have to outlaw for this to work, outlaw the use of all petroleum, all oil, in the next 10 years. Completely get rid of coal, completely get rid of natural gas, and completely get rid of nuclear. So what does that leave us? As far as I can tell, you've got hydropower, like we have a lot here in Tennessee at a dam, or you've got solar panels, which hopefully one day the sun will just power everything, but we ain't there yet. Or you've got wind, and you got to pray that it never the wind never quits blowing. But they can't produce the amount of energy from these that our country needs, or even a city needs, without taking over the whole countryside with solar panels, and then they don't last very long. So, so keep, just keep that in mind a little bit. No natural gas, no oil, no coal, and no nuclear. Well, see, when you take away no use of petroleum, that means there's no TVs being made. That means when you go take the medicine from your doctor and it's coated in a petroleum-based capsule, that's not going to be there either. Five-gallon buckets will disappear. Lure bottles and caps and jars are not going to be able to be made without petroleum. Petroleum is in dang near everything. To build a car with wires, you're going to need petroleum because you're going to have to insulate those wires. You can go on and on. If you don't realize how much petroleum is used in everyday processes and everything that we use on a daily basis as far as products and what builds those products, the only thing we're going to be able to do is live in a mud hut and walk everywhere or get a horse. They want to eliminate airplane travel. Not curtail, eliminate. So you have places like Hawaii, 
that those people are going to starve to death in reality, and there won't be any tourism business. So all that loss is going to happen on, and that's in one of our own countries. No one's going to be going to Alaska. You don't have a car, and you don't have an, you can't use an airplane. That means for you to go to an NTA, you have to be kind of like the guys back in the prairie days. So if you're going to go spend three days and it's four states away, you need to leave like a month and a half earlier, and it's going to take you four months to go to an NTA, which means you're not working, you're not seeing your family, you're going to have to figure out food. And I don't know how you would have the lights on at an NTA if you don't have nuclear, coal, natural gas, or, or any type of oil products anyway. This is crazy. This is 10 years, guys. They're wanting to do this within 10 years. You've got Booker, and you've got Warren, and uh, all of these other people. And this is all coming from the little princes of the Democratic uh, Party of the Cortez girl. That's from Brooklyn. It sounds like if you wanted to have a policy and you scared the crap out of some second graders about the environment and how bad uh, nuclear and everything else is and oil and, and all that, that you would let a second grader come up with a plan. Well, let's get rid of the cars. Let's get rid of the airplanes. Let's get rid of oil. Let's get rid of this. No thought process went into this whatsoever. Now, Booker's coming out, which is running for president on the Democratic side, and he wants, and this is a very common thing now around the world, where they want to tax meat at a high rate, almost like you're getting a super high luxury, scary product. So you won't be able to afford to go get it. And if they do, I'm still going to eat meat. Um, I will see that as an opportunity in my lifetime to be in the black market of... Uh, of getting meat to people that are willing to pay the price to get the meat because that's what it'll be it'll be a black market and i'm saying you should do that probably not i would because i think it'd be my patriotic duty to go sell some chicken to a neighbor and make a lot of money on it the black market on on beef and chicken and lamb and everything else would go through the roof because no one's going to be able to afford to go down and get it at the store Welcome to the Green New Deal. You're now a vegetarian. Where the only other source you're going to have for food is basically bags of human pet food, which is a, it seems like where all the, the corporations want to take us anyway. I just won't be a part of it. I'll do anything legal or illegal at that point to make sure that I get my meat supply taken care of. If, they, if they, that happens that way. And so will a whole lot of other people. Now, the last part of this plan that really blows my mind of the ignorance of environmentalism is within 10 years, and I want you to think of the scope We've been talking, uh, me and my wife, about moving closer to the farm, and we've been looking into loans and stuff like that, which I'm getting ready to talk about here in a second. And we've looked at building a house on the farm, which we may do one day. So by the time you break ground and you get all your septic tank and your electric lines run, and, and we've already got a well there, so we don't have to do that, but they build the foundation, they build the walls, 
they they do the roof and the trusses and and do all of that the average time when I talk to people that have built houses the builders say three months the people that have them built say six months to a year that's a single house unless it's a little bitty tiny thing or something but if it's say a, a 2500 square foot home you're looking at about at a minimum of six months realistically before you're going to move into that home. Part of the new deal is they want to demolish or deconstruct every single building structure in America, Alaska, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, and the little bitty islands that we have in the Caribbean. Every one of those now that's in 10 years so your house you would get new insulation better windows solar panels probably heating in the floor whatever at the time the new technology is every single house that you see as you drive across America within 10 years needs to be taken apart and put back together that is a complete impossibility I mean it's it's silly to be honest with you but that's a complete and here's the thing I would like to ask this little girl that's in Congress because that's what she is she's a child I would like to ask her if you're gonna get rid of the cars and all the oil and natural gas and the and the airplanes and the trucks why you're deconstructing all this house where and how do you think the new products are going to get to the new houses from? I mean, are, are, is it just going to be everybody gets uh, conscripted into the Democratic Party army and you got to carry your two two-by-fours three states away so someone can work on their house? I mean, how's that going to work? Because it's not like most people can cut trees in their own yard and have lumber. They're not going to be able to make their own sheetrock. They're not going to be able to make their own shingles, solar panels, insulation. The new type of wiring where it's all smart and computer-driven and, and all that type of stuff. How in the world are we supposed to be able to rebuild every structure? And, and I'm not exaggerating this. You can go look this up. Every structure in America in 10 years while you're reducing all vehicles, airplanes, and all fuel. Because how are you going to go cut those trees? With hand saws? Drag them out with mules? How are you going to get uh, the different chemicals and stuff that you need to come out of the ground to make sheetrock? With a shovel? See how crazy this is? But to the new progressive, this is awesome. Now they really, they, and, and here, here's what I really think happens. When people hear big ideas, they like big ideas. They like the idea of saving the environment. They like the idea of being proactive. I can, I can get that if they, if they bought into the religion of global warming, I can understand why someone would believe that. But what do you think is going to happen when they realize they're no longer allowed to drive to go see Grandma at Christmas? Or how are they going to get, with no ambulances and no vehicle, 
I guess all babies now are going to be born in the bathtub? The idea of having reliable electricity? Gone. How are you going to charge your, uh, your iPhone and your iPad? Well, take that back. You won't have an iPad because it's mostly made out of petroleum. The, the lunacy of this goes beyond any comprehension that I can really... Because what it comes across to is like a comedy where you have an environmentalist that becomes president and has no clue of the real world and all of a sudden is going to make policy. Because when you look deeper at their policy now... We are going to, if this were to come to fruition, if this were, we would be no better off than Honduras when it comes to economic uh, prosperity. How many people are truck drivers? They're, they're out of business. How many UPS drivers, FedEx drivers? How many people need a car to get to their work because they don't live at the factory? which I don't know how you would fuel the factory at that point anyway. Because no one really cares about the well, the consequences. It's all about the idea. How many people work in the, the, the car industry? How many people work in the metal industry that supplies the car industry, the wires, the seats, the cushions, the, the glass, the all of that? Gone. No cars, no industry. Everybody that works at airports works on airplanes, pilots, everything that has anything to do, travel agencies, gone. All the people that work in the oil fields are out of business. All the people that drive all those trucks for the oil fields, out of business. All the construction companies that support the oil business and the natural gas business, out of business. Probably, except for government employees, 95% of all Americans would be out of business. Because like even, even my small business, how can I run a mail order business that I can't mail because there's no way to get it anywhere? So that means that's going to regulate me to people that can walk to my shop and buy their trapping lures. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. So when you hear people talking about the new Green Deal, you need to just let them roll on about how good of an idea it is and go, you do know that you're not going to be allowed to have a car and there will be only 1% of cars on the road today in 10 years. No cars, no travel, no vacation, no getting to work, no going to Starbucks. You do know that there won't be any airplanes because of the greenhouse emission gases they put off. So you're not going to be able to fly to Hawaii or on vacation or go see so-and-so when they're sick. No airplanes. You do realize that there will be no energy to run anything. And you want to talk about deforestation. 300 million people need to heat their house in the winter. It's going to have to come from trees. We're going to look like the Middle East in a couple of years after that. That every house in America has to be rebuilt to make it more environmental friendly in 10 years. When people actually hear what's in this new deal, it's such a shock to them. Because there, there was a, there's a video of, a, of a, it's a, 
see what's that called it's like campus campus reform or something and what the guy does he just goes to random campuses and talks to college kids and all of these college kids loved the green deal until he told them what was in it most of, most of them then were like well that's stupid yeah i don't want that. that 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 would crash the economy it went on and on just the idea the marketing from the democrats the college kids loved it when they actually found out that they weren't going to be able to ever travel they weren't going to be able to use electricity they wouldn't be able to use all the stuff get to work have a job they didn't think it was such a good deal at that time because it's a terrible deal unless you want to move us back to a time period in probably the 17 early 1800s that's the only way this is going to work and when you're carrying water by hand we'll see how much you like the idea of being a true environmentalist the way that they want you to be when you're eating some type of gruel that you don't even know what it is we'll see how much you like it when you're sweating all summer long because you can't have air conditioner and you're freezing all winter long because you don't have any energy we'll see how people really like this new green deal if this ever did come to true as an uh you know come come to life there's going to be so many black markets out there there's going to be some wealthy people that don't want to play the game that's how the Kennedys made their money, was during the prohibition selling alcohol. There'd be a whole lot of people looking at it like that. What do you think a beaver's going to be worth when people can't afford any type of meat whatsoever? Probably going to be $30 a pound. going to be good to be a beaver trapper at that time. A deer will be the first one that's going to get hit because that's the first thing people are going to think about. People be having chickens in their backyard, having a pig underneath their house. They'll be doing everything. Because people don't realize what it means if you can't go get meat. People start getting sick. People, the brains that quit working. It's going to be a bad deal. So when you hear people talk about the Green Deal, at least know what they probably don't even realize and let them know what they think is such a good idea. Because most people, no matter how radical they are, when they realize it's going to affect them in that way, they don't like it. See, all of Europe wants to do this type stuff. They keep raising the prices in, in fuel in, in Europe. Taxes and taxes and taxes, all for the Green Movement, which has not helped anything. Germany spent $500 billion and it cost them over a trillion in lost revenue because everything cost so much more. So the buying power of that, that money went away. Germany spent $500 billion to turn Germany into an environmental haven and it didn't work because society today needs energy. That's what fuels society. Just keep all this stuff in mind. Now, the last thing I want to talk about, and this is kind of personal, and it drives me up the freaking wall. Now, me and Cindy is possibly looking at a new home. We're going to get closer to the farm. We're going to get more room. We're going to, uh, there's a place there that we can build a bigger shop because our business is expanding. All this type of stuff, that's great. As a business owner, guys, 
That is one downfall of being a business owner is it's not as easy to get a loan. Because the goal of your accounting is so you don't pay everything you made to the government. So you write down and you figure out different ways to hold stuff from one year to the next. So you don't have to pay all your profits to the federal government through your taxes. It's very different as an employee. You pay half of your taxes and your business owner that hires you pays half of your taxes. It's pretty straightforward. You don't get depreciation off of stuff. You don't, uh, it, it, it's just very different. Well, as a business owner, all year long, you're trying to figure out so you can keep your taxes as low as possible because just payroll taxes enough is, I pay way more than any employee ever will in, pay tax, in, in payroll taxes. I pay twice as much. So you don't want to keep paying and paying and paying and paying. So you you get your 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 the game because that's what it is. It's a game of the taxes. So it's it's as low as possible. Makes sense. Well, when you go get a loan because you're not showing a huge income because it's not like an employee's income. The way the government now does home loans, it's got really really crazy. And this is where I had my mind blown. Now, where I live is, uh, it, it's, it's Appalachia, America. Sequatchie Valley has got Marion County in it, it's got Sequatchie County, and it's got Bledsoe County. Maybe 0.5% counting all those counties of a black population. They're just not interested in coming. There ain't nothing to do out here. It's country. It's it's not exactly baller territory out here. You know, there's not clubs, there's not all this stuff. It's just rural country mountain Appalachia America. We don't keep black people out. We don't care if black people come in. We don't care. But it's just not a place they move to. Chattanooga, it's a lot higher population of black people, but here it's not. Now, here's the deal. I'm trying to get the loan to see if we get pre-approved to see if we want to move forward on this other piece of property. I was having trouble because of being a business owner. And then the guy that, that was uh, helping me out, he's actually an outdoorsman. So we got along really good great guy it's a bank that i have i bought my farm with we bought this house we live in now it's been 17 years we've never missed a payment we bought what used to be the old shop through that we paid that off uh so the farmers paid off we paid off the other loan we never missed a payment on this in 17 years i can show them that making uh, double payments is not going to affect me because of some other money we have saved and different stuff like that I thought it was going to be easy peasy. Oh no. They go straight off a formula that regulators force them to do. Now these regulators, well, there used to be a thing in the banking system called overrides. And when you could see that someone has the money, they have a way to make the money, they can make the payments, but they don't meet the cookie cutter formula of basically what an employee has, 
you can overwrite that because you can use some common sense and go, we're good. He's got the down payment. He's got collateral, whatever it is. Well, we're not going to come out on the, the wrong end of this deal. It's good. Not anymore. And the banker leaned up to me and said, Clint, we just, uh, we can't do this in a conventional way. And I'm like, well, why not? And we talked about it. And he go, and what it boiled down to, and I want you to get this. Obama sent regulators in to the banking systems of rural Appalachian America. And what they did is they went into the banks and they pulled every single loan. And they started feeding it into the computers for data. And when they came back, there were more white people that the bank was giving loans to than non-black people. Or than black people. And there was more men that were getting loans individually than there were women that were getting business loans individually. And that just shows how racist and sexist the banks are. Like I said, in the three counties up and down this valley, maybe 0.5% black population. Just by sheer volume of more white people than black people, they're going to loan more money to white people because there's hardly any black people here. That doesn't make the bank racist. That's who their customers are. That's, who's, that's who lives here. But according to the regulators, they sanctioned rule banks in a different way than you would if you were in, say, Chattanooga. What the regulators then did was have different sets of policy depending on what their data showed and how sexist and racist the bankers must be, where if you're a white male, you're not allowed any type of variance from the cookie quarter formula at all. At all. It doesn't make any difference. Now, if you're a black person, you get all kind of overrides. The reason for that is the government wants to fix an injustice in our valley that is not here. So it doesn't work. But what that does is somebody like me that's worked hard for many, many years started a business, paid my bills, uh, has good credit score. There's no variance whatsoever when it comes to getting the loan. You know, I could have, for the last five years, paid all of my money to the federal government so I can get a loan. Do you kind of see the catch-22 here? And being white, since I didn't give all my money to the government, I'm being punished because I can't get a conventional loan. That blew my mind. The rules that I have to go by are based on whether there is equal black loans to white loans in a place that there are hardly any black people. And the banker said, most business loans are by males. Most business loans are started by males. 
Most businesses are started by males. Now, why is that? Well, it's because of the human nature of males. Males are not as afraid of risk. Most females don't like risk, and there's a good reason for that, because they want to make sure they want certainty. There's a, there's a hierarchy in values that are different between male and females. Risk is, is, is not that big a deal to a male, but it's a big deal to a female because the, the value of females is on, on the scale of different things of what they hold most important. Certainty is one of them. Why is that? Because if a female picked the wrong mate or made decisions for centuries and there wasn't certainty, she could starve to death, her babies could starve to death, they could uh, be conquered, they could be turned into slaves, they could, it, it, just nothing good could come of it. So females have really got it in their DNA now that they want certainty. That's why a lot of men want to start businesses and it freaks a lot of women out, the wives. Well, but you can't guarantee that'll work. I, you know, there's no certainty in this. There's a lot of risk in this and this, that, and the other. To a guy, eh, yeah, we'll figure it out as it comes along. That's just the, the, the two difference besides sexual organs. That's just the difference of males and females. But see, I'm being punished right now because I'm not a female and I'm not black. Because he said they could do overrides for them, but they can't do overrides for uh, white people. Now, you always hear this thing from all the race baiters out there that says, um, it, see, what's the word they use? It's not indoctrination. Uh, institutionalized racism. How is this not institutionalized racism towards white people in rural America? How is it not? Because everybody else gets better deals than the white male. Just because the color of their skin is whiter. And this all happened because a wannabe socialist, President Obama, got into office and saw racism in everything, and he went to go fix a problem that didn't exist. And it's caused massive, ha the bank was very clear. It's very hard now for, for white males to get loans. So, I, you know, it's almost, I kind of made a joke. I said, well, I'm just letting you know that, I, you know, I actually self-identify as a black woman that's a Muslim and a transgender. And he goes, well, I've never heard anybody say that before. I go, and as, since I self-identify that way, I expect you to put that down on the, the paper. He said, I can't do it. And he was laughing because he understood what I was saying. The only reason I couldn't get a traditional loan, being a business owner, just the way, because we've been putting more money in the business and taking money out of it, which shows less income because we're expanding. As a male, I can't get the loan. So when you go to get a house loan, guys, or a business loan, and you meet resistance that just doesn't make common sense. It, it, I'm telling you, what I was being told doesn't make common sense. And the bankers admitted that I would have no trouble at all with the loan, because I wouldn't. 
but because they're not allowed to get out of the cookie cutter thing, I was rejected by the conventional reasons of basically being a white male that ran, runs a business in rural America because the liberals sent down auditors to find prejudice where there wasn't any. Everything has consequences. Elections absolutely have consequences. Now, once the bank really got into all of my financial information, I think there's a good chance we're going to go about this a different way. I'm probably going to buy the house and the property as a business loan, not a, not a standard conventional loan. It's going to cost me more money in interest. Not a whole lot, but it still pisses me off. It's still going to cost more money in interest probably if we work this deal out that I'm paying basically because I'm a white male in rural America. You got to love those progressives. Their big heart never, ever has any unintended consequences.